Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. You are joining us right now for our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. Come to you each morning about 9 a.m. And we are doing continuing or continuous catechesis through the book of 1 Samuel, although we actually are going to jump a few chapters here tomorrow and go straight straightway to the death of Saul. All right, but today um, is kind of the famous last, hmm, uh, last move, I guess, where he consults with the witch of Endor, um, for better or for worse. So it's a hard reading, but I think it's worth our consideration. Um, and especially how it applies to our life uh, as Christians living in a world of idolatry. Let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We say our memory verse for this week together. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Romans 5, verse 19. So I'd encourage you to uh, repeat that throughout the day. If you've got your blue sheet from Sunday morning, um, that will help you. You have it at the ready, at handy. Sorry about the exposure there. And uh, otherwise, just take note of it. Romans 5, verse 19, and put it on your doorposts and upon uh, as you go about your work and as you go about your play and then commit it uh, to memory that way. We say our psalm for this week, Psalm 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Our first reading today, uh, we pick up with a new book, St. Paul's letter to Timothy, his second letter, right away in chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, 
and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a soundful mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. All right, this is actually a quite lovely passage for um, how to be a pastor, um, how to be a teacher, how to be a, a Christian parent, and to serve those whom have been entrusted to you with a clear conscience, or as he calls it, a pure conscience. Uh, a, pure, a pure conscience is to um, serve under the Lord in His Word, right, uh, with a sound, uh, with a power and love and of a sound mind. He says, right, and the key here to have a clear conscience is right in verse eight. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Right? The only way to have a clear conscience in our vocational service to one another is to do so holding fast to the testimony of the Lord. All right? So uh, sometimes uh, we're burdened by, I would say frequently burdened by the idea that we're somehow not serving um, faithfully or, or well, right? And our conscience is pricked, if you like. Uh, sometimes that's true. Maybe we have been unfaithful. Maybe we haven't held um, to God's word, right? But the purpose of this daily prayer um, and of all prayer around God's word, the regular consistent study of God's word, is that our conscience would be set free, both knowing what is the will and purpose of God for us and for, uh, for all his people, and two, living in the forgiveness of sins, which is ours in Christ Jesus, right? Who has brought, as he said, abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And it's only um, having uh, God's word as the foundation, as the, there's different ways the scripture calls this, uh, not just the foundation, as the rock upon which we build. Uh, the only way for us to, to serve faithfully, to serve with a clear conscience, is again to have God's word um, at, at hand. And that means that even when we suffer persecution, even when others insult us, or when they mock us, or when we doubt um, you know, that we're doing what God would have us do, we can, without, without shame and without guilt, serve if we know what God's will and purpose is, which is, of course, given to us in his word. Right. So um, quite often, even with church workers, pastors, teachers, uh, and I think with parents too, um, there's we live not with a free conscience, but with a guilty conscience, right? And then uh, we add guilt upon that guilt in trying to escape the guilt that we know, um, say, for example, forsaking the third commandment, we shall what, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, 
Um, so rather than preaching, giving God's word to our families, um, we'll find other means of escape and other ways to rejoice apart from God's word. But they're always empty and shallow, right? The only way to assuage our conscience is actually to have it assuaged by God in his word, namely in Jesus Christ, in the forgiveness of sins. All right. So uh, my annual letter, um, the letter that will be included in the annual report for Sunday's uh, uh, meeting, that annual letter is an encouragement to parents to fulfill their vocation as um, teachers of God's word to their children. Right? And that's really the only way then to have a clear conscience and to say, I've done uh, what you've set before me, Lord. And then if the children walk from the faith, um, it's the Lord's problem. Um, although, if you have been unfaithful, um, now not only, it's very hard to just say it's the Lord's problem because you will be bearing that guilt for what you have failed to do. Right? So fulfill your vocations according to the law of God living in the forgiveness of sins. That's what Paul is getting after here for, um, for Timothy. All right, now of course that leads us right into Saul, um, who is God's, uh, is God's anointed, the Lord's anointed, is the king he was set in place, but is unfaithful in that he does not listen to God's word, and therefore his kingdom will be taken from him, he will die, um, his family will see um, great um, suffering, right? all as a result of his unfaithfulness, right? The consequence of his sin. All right, so 1 Samuel 28. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritualists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself, put on other clothes, and he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and spiritualists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you. For this thing. So the woman then said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, 
So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. All because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now therefore please heed also the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground, sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it, and she took flour and kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Okay, this is actually quite a rich story, um, and many implications for us, again, as Christians, and for our life in the church as, as God's anointed, as his baptized children. So we should pay attention. Um, so the narrative begins with Samuel. Why Samuel, of all people? All right, of course he was the prophet, right? But you remember how First Samuel began? This is, this is what is recorded in, in 1 Samuel 3. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. All right. So it is Samuel, who, of course, who has the vision, right, um, as he is serving, here I am, and um, send me, send me. That whole, here I am, he says to the Lord, right? And it also is recorded there that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of the Lord's words fall to the ground. All right, so Samuel is unique in heeding the word of the Lord and receiving it. Uh, it was quite rare in those days. Of course, then how does verse 6 apply? Saul inquired of the Lord and the Lord did not answer him either by dreams all right, or by the Urim. Right? This is their, one of their means of consulting the Lord. Um, it's kind of a strange practice. Let's see what, uh, it's, a, it's part of the declaration of the breastplate, right? Um, so what does, in the Hebrew Bible, the Urim and the Thurim are the elements of the Hoshin, the breastplate worn by the high priest attached to the ephod. They are connected with, the, with divination in general and claromancy in particular. Most scholars suspect this phrase refers to a set of two objects used by the high priest to answer a question or reveal the will of God. You know, kind of like casting dice or, you know, um, casting lots in the New Testament. All right, so this is one of the ways that a priest would just make a decision left or right kind of idea. Uh, of course, the prophets have no answer for him either. All right, now he has slain, of course, all of the uh, priests in, um, where was that, Gad, right? Um, Ahimelech and, and all of his sons, except for the one, uh, Abiathar, right? I'm trying to remember all these names. and. Uh, yeah, so they probably are fearful to even speak to uh, Saul. 
All right, but of course the Lord is the one not providing him with an answer. Um, verse 3 tells us, though, that Saul had, uh, in a sense of faithfulness, right, had put out the mediums and the spiritualists from the land. Of course, this is required by the, which commandment? <laughs> the second commandment, right? Which directs us not to use satanic arts, right? So he had cast out this idolatry. Uh, but Saul today is fearful. Remember, we talked yesterday, Saul has uh, failed to heed the word of the Lord, and now that word has departed from him. This is, a, I suppose, a difficult teaching to hear, but uh, when you reject the Holy Spirit, namely in the word of God, um, the Lord is long-suffering, but his patience does come to an end, right? And that repeated, regular rejection of God and his word, um, God will give you over to the desire of your heart. You don't want to listen to him? He'll let it happen, right? And then, God willing, um, he will call you to repentance again, or you will be brought low, um, and there uh, you will find God again calling you home and to faithfulness again. So, um, but sometimes, not always. Right? And that's what we'll see with, Paul, uh, with Saul here. So he sees what that causes him to be fearful again? The army of the Philistines. And again, the word, key verb there, or key word, and it's the verb, is saw. Right? That's important because, again, where does faith come from? From one's eyes? No, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord, not by seeing. So, um, Maybe he ought to have just been more patient and continued to plead to the Lord um, for direction, for consultation. Right. But instead, what does uh, Saul do when the Lord does not answer him? Violates the second commandment and asks for a medium. Now, a medium, um, I think Old King James probably has this as which. Um, this is someone who uh, stands in the middle, right, between. Um, you, the living, and they, the dead, right? To communicate or to mediate between the living and the dead. Uh, maybe it's all a hoax, right? It seems like mm, that might be true. Um, but even with, any, well, as the is the case with any idolatry, whether it's made up um, or it's real, um, demonic, satanic, um, it's not something that we mess around with, right? There's a way that even the idols, um, well, the idols are used by the demons um, in order to bring us um, out of faith in Christ and um, to trust in ourselves or to trust in man. All right, so um, what does, or how does Saul go to visit the woman? This is interesting, right? Verse 8. Yeah, he disguises himself and goes by night under the cover of night with two other men. Right? Why does he disguise himself? Because... He's ashamed, actually. He doesn't want this guilt being brought upon him. Uh, he doesn't want others to know. Sometimes it's worth listening uh, to your guilt or shame, right? Uh, yes, always. Take heed of it, because uh, maybe it's telling you the truth. What did the woman say? Well, before he does that, why does, what does he ask of the medium? Yeah. Bring up for me the one I shall name to you. And uh, she accuses him of trying to trap him, right? Because of the edict from Saul, <laughs> ironically, right? That, any, that if she practices this divination, um, she'll be brought to death. Uh, but whom does 
Saul asked the medium to bring up after he gives her a promise that the Lord will, won't bring punishment upon her. Bring up Samuel for me. I, before we move on, this is really important too. This is much like what we see with um, uh, with Aaron in the golden calf, right? Is that Aaron doesn't see the creation of the golden calf as you know blatant idolatry. He sees it as very much like the medium here that she's doing the Lord's work even without the Lord's command, right? And so that's how Aaron understands the golden calf. I'm not sure the people do, but Aaron does is that this is like a representative or, or token of the Lord, but not one that the Lord has appointed. Uh, whereas later, one that the Lord appoints would be the bronze serpent on the pole. For example, the Lord instructs Moses to construct that image and put it on the pole. But of course, as with anything that God um, gives, it can be distorted then into idolatry, which happens with the bronze serpent. They end up worshiping and giving it a name. I can't remember what it's called. All right, we talked about that last year. All right. So, um, actually, when she conducts this seance, the woman actually sees Samuel and she cries out with a loud voice. Why? Why is she shocked? Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul, right? Yeah, she knows she's deceived because what she does is uh, kind of a, um, well, as is the case with many of these uh, mediums. What do we call them today? You know, when you go and they, fortune tellers, right? Um, they're very good at studying your expressions, your tells, right? Uh, much like a poker player. And so then they can, they can tell by the words they say whether they're on the right track or not to saying what actually um, your heart would want them to say, <laughs> right? Um, but here, not, uh, this is not fakery. Actually, she does see Samuel um, arise, right? She knows that she could not have brought him up unless it was the work of the Lord, right? The only one who can actually give resurrection to the dead, or in this case, um, raise the spirit of the dead. Mm. So she's fearful. She cries out. She's been deceived. Uh, and why would she suspect that this has actually happened because of it being Saul? Again, because, this, because Saul is the Lord's anointed. He has the Lord with him, at least. Um, the Lord has declared him to be king, right? Uh, what did she see in particular? We know it's Samuel because it's an old man, right? With a prophet's mantle, right? That's what that mantle is. We see this with Elijah and Elisha later. Had God completely turned away from Saul? Yes, he had. And that's what Samuel says here in verse 15. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Right? You rejected me. You refused to listen to me. All right. And to what does Samuel refer? How do we know that he's rejected the word of the Lord? Yeah. This reminds me of actually a parable before we answer that question. Um, the rich man and Lazarus, right? Remember when the, when the rich man, when he's in Hades in torment, he um, tells uh, Abraham, you know, can you send someone back from the dead and then they will believe? And what does Abraham say? They have Moses and the prophets listen to them. In other words, they have, they have God's word, right? Even if I send someone back from the dead, they won't believe. Maybe that story is alluding to this story, don't you think? Yeah, someone back from the dead. So why are you disturbing me? I mean, what good is this going to do? Is this going to bring Saul to faithfulness, to belief again? 
No. Right? And in case you, you didn't see that, um, Samuel, this is actually Samuel, by the way, in case you were wondering, uh, Samuel reminds him, I mean, because now he speaks prophetically, reminds him of um, how he had forsaken the word of the Lord in regards to Amalek. So this is all the way back in 1 Samuel 15. Right? So this is always hard trying to keep everything in context when we kind of jump around a little bit. All right, so here's what, what happens in 15. Samuel said to Saul, <laughs> all right, and you'll see what happens here. The Lord has sent me to anoint you king over, the pe- over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when we came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Right? But Saul and the people, skipping ahead here, spared Agag, the king of the Amalekites, Amalekites, excuse me, and the best of his sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went up, went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, Why then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of oxen which I hear? All right, and finally, Samuel says, um, well, Saul says that he has obeyed the voice of the Lord, but Samuel says, I'm just going to skip ahead, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Um, Saul repents, actually, and uh, Samuel says to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, but the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. All right, and this is when um, Saul is, gets quite angry and um, really rebels against Samuel and makes Samuel's life difficult. (laughs) It's quite the story. So again, and then immediately after that, actually, David is anointed king. So that's all the way back in 1 Samuel 15. Um, Chris is asking, but why did he rely on someone who was not God? All right. Um, This, again, this is part of a long string of rebellion against God and his word. God has has been patient with him. Uh, but because of his rejection of the word of the Lord when he was first king, um, there are consequences for that, right? For that sort of rebellion. Is there forgiveness for, for, for Saul? Absolutely. Are there earthly consequences? Yes. Lord takes away his kingship from him. All right. Uh, doesn't do it immediately. It takes another 13 ver- uh, chapters, uh, but there it is today. Yeah. So. He does not trust in the word of the Lord to answer the question. What does God then promise Saul by way of this spirit of Samuel in verse 19? Yeah. 
On the next day, Saul and his sons would be with Samuel. In other words, dead. Of course, the Lord would deliver Israel over to the Philistines as well. So all a consequence of Saul's rebellion against the prophet, against God's word. Uh, but Saul adds insult to injury here. He's hungry. Um, and so he, he pleads with the medium to have um, really what is a sacred meal. right? And, and she understands this. She doesn't want to do it. She's seen Samuel. Um, she knows she's playing with fire, so to speak. But he begs and insists. And so um, she slaughters the fattened calf and makes unleavened bread from the table for her, for him. And uh, he eats of it. Now, what is going on here? Um, who you eat with <laughs> in the scriptures is who you share faith confession with. Right? Remember, she's a, she's a spiritualist. She's a medium. So her table um, is quite literally the table of demons. Right? Because she, she teaches contrary to God's word. Uh, satanic arts. Remember, we talked about second commandment. Right? So remember... Uh, what what St. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, observe Israel after the flesh, that is according to their sin. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table, and in Saul's case, that would have been at the tabernacle, and of the table of demons. That would be the table of this, of this witch, right? This medium. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All right? Um, so we, we use the expression, um, altar and pulpit fellowship in the church and it has in mind that reading from first corinthians 10 right where you listen um, is a confession of um, of the faith of that place right so if you choose to sit in the pews here and to listen to me preaching you are saying i believe that this church teaches what god's word teaches i confess what this church confess right that's why we confess out loud together i believe etc right but not just um, the pulpit, but also the altar. By eating and drinking at the altar here, you are confessing, I believe and teach what this congregation teaches. Right? I believe not only what this congregation says about the food offered at the altar, but I actually believe and teach what this church believes and teach, teaches. Okay, That's the positive sense. The negative sense would be to commune, is to eat um, at an altar that teaches falsely. Right? This is why we as Lutherans, and, and actually most Christians in the world, uh, Roman Catholics would be included in this, um, don't eat and drink, that is, receive the Lord's Supper, or a supper, at altars that don't believe that it's Christ's body and blood given and shed for the forgiveness of sins, don't believe that Christ Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins, don't confess that God is Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, does not, do not confess that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and is given to us to create and gather us in the church. In other words, the creed, right? Um, where we don't share confession, we don't eat and drink. That means that uh, when you visit a church that you haven't been to before, even if they call themselves Lutheran, um, before you would receive the supper there, you would be you would ask to be instructed, right? 
so that you can examine yourself and see, do I believe and teach what this church believes and teaches? Right? So uh, people who come to the altar without first having um, been instructed, right? It's not, it's not the duty of the congregation to instruct them. It's actually them to, to inspect their own heart and to, to examine themselves whether or not they believe what this church believes, teaches, and confesses. Right? Now, of course, pastors have the duty then, too, um, to be the one that preaches and teaches and examines, and to remind um, the person before they commune, uh, you need to examine what we preach and teach before you receive the supper here, right? so that you can be confident that what you receive here is according to God's word. All right? So sometimes I think we get the, the order of operation backwards, right? The burden is on, well, you, pastor, you're keeping me from the Lord's Supper. no. No, I'd love to have you come to receive Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins, right? Uh, but I have to remind you, as Paul does in First Timothy, or First Corinthians ten, um, and elsewhere, First Corinthians fifteen as well, um, to examine what we preach and teach before you receive the supper here, because I want you to receive it in and in, in confidence, knowing that what is given here is what God has instructed to be given, right? and that you're not going to eat and drink it then um, to your hurt and harm. Uh, so this is really quite obvious. Like, say, for example, if you went into a, a Hindu temple and they were make they had sacrificial foods that were being offered there, you know, to these false gods, right? I mean, that's obvious. Um, and maybe there would be other cases too, um, where uh, where it is demonic um, association that would be unfitting to receive the supper. But this would even apply if you go to another um, Christian church, all right? So, yeah, so here he um, eats and drinks of a false sacrifice contrary to God's word, the fatted calf and the unleavened bread. It's no wonder that these things mimic um, the sacrifices made in the Lord's temple, right? Because these are that of, t- of demons rather than the true feast which the Lord had prepared for him. And never mind, he had slaughtered all the priests. Huh. What was being said by the inclusion of the second sentence of verse 25? They arose and went away that night. Remember, they went by night and in disguise, and even now being found out, they leave by night under the cover of darkness. And there was a meal. So think of somebody who um, was deceived and who ate and drank to his judgment and then fled under the cover of night to betray Jesus. All right, there you go. Judas, right? After eating at the Lord's table, he went and betrayed him. All right, meditation then. With the death of Samuel, the word of the Lord had once more become rare in the land. Yet the witch of Endor was still proclaiming the words of Satan, the deceiver. The deceiver's preachers will not be silent until the end of the world. Saul now sought sought out the false words, but the Lord confronted him much to the shock of the witch through Samuel, who dwells in the land of the living. Though Saul was afraid, he did not call out in repentance, but ate from the table of the witch. Saul not only sought the words of demons, but he also ate of the table of demons. Here is a warning to all the baptized to take heed lest they fall. In the preaching of the true word of Christ and in the sacrament of the altar, we are given strength to bear the temptations and trials of this world. Apart from these gifts of Christ, we shall surely perish. All right. So a little bit harder reading, so we needed to do a little bit more catechesis than usual on that. Hopefully that was a benefit to you.
All right, let's confess the fifth commandment. You shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. What is the sixth commandment? You shall not commit adultery. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we lead a sexually pure and decent life in what we say and do, and husband and wife love and honor each other. We pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in the fifth commandment, you teach us that the gift of life is sacred and holy, and that it is to be protected from every form of murder. By the gift of your only begotten Son, you saved us from death and restored life with you. We give thanks to you for this gift and for our new life in Christ. Forgive us for every form of murder, for hatred, resentment, and refusing to forgive those who have sinned against us. Grant us your grace and mercy that we might let go of all grudges, sincerely forgive our enemies, and truly help and support our neighbor in every physical need. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Pray the collect for this week. O Lord, we implore you, let your continual pity cleanse and defend your church, and because she cannot continue in safety without your aid, preserve her evermore by your help and goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray for deliverance against temptation and evil, for the addicted and despairing, for the tortured and oppressed, and for those struggling with sin. We pray for those who are celebrating. Um, well, we don't have anybody celebrating today. I'm sure there are some. But we pray for our households, especially that of Joel, Deb, Summer, Tom and Sandy, Maggie, and James. We pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment and recovering. Tristan, Marcella, Kelsey, Ron, Amanda, Dan, John, and Timothy. Janice, Sandy, Ken, Kathy, and Kay. Our homebound, Bev, David, Roy, Willis, Mickey. We pray for all the missions and mercy work of the church, especially for LCMS World Relief and Human Care. We ask the Lord, give and increase amongst us gentleness, that he preserve those who are stranded in Afghanistan, that he aid those afflicted by Hurricane Ida and our newest hurricane in Texas. That he be with those who are grieving, especially Bill at the death of his wife Janice, and Willis at the death of his wife Janice. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Today is Holy Cross Day. We're going to celebrate that uh, tomorrow uh, with our Wednesday evening divine service. So I invite you to join us tomorrow evening for divine service. Um, But uh, in lieu of that, I'll let you know about Holy Cross Day. It's one of the earliest annual celebrations of the church. Holy Cross Day traditionally commemorated the discovery of the original cross of Jesus on September 14, 320 in Jerusalem. The cross was found by Helena, mother of Roman Emperor Constantine the Great. In conjunction with the dedication of a basilica at the site of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, the festival day was made official by order of Constantine in AD 335. As a devout Christian, Helena had helped locate and authenticate many sites related to the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus throughout biblical lands. Holy Cross Day has remained popular in both Eastern and Western Christianity. Many Lutheran parishes have chosen to use Holy Cross as the name of their congregation. We pray. 
Merciful God, your Son Jesus Christ was lifted high upon the cross that he might bear the sins of the world and draw all people to himself. Grant that we who glory in his death for our redemption may faithfully heed his call to bear the cross and follow him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray the prayer our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, let's sing our hymn for this week. Again, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds uh, as contrast to this bitter and toxic uh, words from that witch at Endor, huh? Our wounds 
Great. It's good to have you with us here today again for our Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. Um, again, there will be a uh, pastoral letter in your, what do we call it? The annual report, that's right, uh, which you'll receive on Sunday at our annual, excuse me, quadrannual, whatever the word is, quarterly voters meeting. Um, you can then, of course, join us uh, for that after divine service. I encourage you to do that. If uh, you're unable to join us on Sunday, you can, of course, join us tomorrow evening, Wednesday evening, for divine service at 7 p.m. here at St. John. We'll be tomorrow celebrating a Holy Cross Day, which is today, but it will be observed by us tomorrow in divine service. Of course, the idea there is that you can uh, join us either the Sunday previous and Wednesday and the Sunday following, or uh, mix and match uh, as your schedule allows. All right. So with that, I'll bid you. Uh, Farewell, and we'll see you again tomorrow.